Hi, everybody. Thanks for joining us again for another episode of Church and State. This week, we are going to discuss some state house updates. Um, the session is almost at a close. I mean, I think we have... This is the that part of the year. We're yeah. now in June. And... We're going to close up in June. Yeah. So you guys have a month left. And uh, what are you looking to more? The end of the ses- session? The beaches? What... <laughs> end of the school year what is it all of the above yeah no um i know that um we'll probably have to come back at some point really yeah well oversight is still happening regarding zamborano which will be one of the topics we discussed today Mm. so um although we are done with session the legislature can still reconvene um like committees and whatnot if we had to. So I anticipate that that will actually happen with oversight. But uh, the House is meeting in chambers. What about in the Senate? You guys back to business as usual? No. You don't sound very happy about that. No, we should be back at the State House. Yeah, I mean, if the House, and this is what, 75 of them crammed into that that closet? Uh, you guys, I mean, there's 38 of you. You guys could, you know, get in there. Yeah. I, You and every other Rhode Islander that I talk to says the same thing. And we are paying over half a million dollars to use the um, Rick campus. Wow. So we'd like to get back. At least there, there are legislators like to get back and um, yeah. all that the... plexiglass. Right. Gone Didn't, as well. Oh, my gosh. Didn't so that get used another, at all. No. That's weird. Yeah. What a waste. But we um, should talk about Zamborano. Yeah. So... And also we're going to discuss some renewable energy mandates. Mm-hmm. So, um, let's, let's jump talk about, right in. Yeah, let's talk about Zamborona Hospital. That's yeah. uh, if you don't know about Zamborona Hospital, why don't you give everybody sort of a the big picture, broad, uh, broad strokes on Zamborona Hospital? Um, you kind of sure. have a history going way back with it, but mm-hmm. uh, for people who have never heard of it, what is it? Zamborona Hospital provides care for individuals that cannot receive this care anywhere else. It is really a hospital of last resort, mm-hmm. and these are the most vulnerable Rhode Islanders. Mm-hmm. They, um, if you can think about someone who's had a, tra- a traumatic brain injury, or um, you know, who's been in a car accident, or maybe overdosed, they can't, they can't speak. They are in a vegetative state. So I think they call it an acute level, high level mm-hmm. of care. Uh, sort of a unique hospital. It's not just like Roger Williams Hospital or uh, Rhode Island Hospital. This is a hospital for folks that really have no other place to uh, to go their family can't really take care of them their um uh you know the, the nursing home down the street from your house isn't going to be able to to care for them and these aren't really like patients who are coming in and out of the hospital this is really a long-term care facility you've even talked about them as residents right so i have to correct something that you said because you said is acute care hospital oh and okay. for and I wouldn't have known the difference mm-hmm. except that I have been, you know, more than knee deep in yeah. hospital lingo. Mm-hmm. So in acute care hospital, you're only there for a few days. Oh. But okay. a long term care hospital or okay. like an LTAC, okay. they recoup over time. I see. And it's kind of like, you know, when you get out of the ICU and you need a certain level of care. Okay. So, so it is a long term facility. It's a long term facility. It's not I an see. acute. Okay. Okay. By acute for me, I meant like, um, um, 
very difficult, high maintenance sure. or high um, high degree of care mm-hmm. um, on the from the hospital staff. But uh, but I say yeah, the, I'm sure there's a different lingo to to describe it. Which most people, like I said, wouldn't they wouldn't use, they wouldn't know. Okay, and I didn't know until I you know learning about it. So right. and you used to go there with your uncle as a as a little girl and yeah. teenager visit yeah. the hospital because you had a family brother. member there. Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, you know, firsthand experience and now I'm a Senator mm-hmm. for Burrillville. And mm-hmm. so, um, and the I, hospital is in Burrillville. Hospitals in Burrillville, the, the patients, I call them, you know, I don't like to call them patients. I like to call them my constituents or residents cause that's their home. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they are patients at a hospital. And so the, um, there's been a lot of talk from the previous administration about closing the hospital. And that was the case. That was the trajectory of the hospital. There was a report that was released that it, it did seem to be public. Nobody really knew it or, or read it, but it was, it was kind of leaked or released. Somebody found it. And I guess it was, it was the, the position of the administration over the last couple of years mm-hmm. to actually close it. Even though back in the summer and in the fall, you were asking very directly, you know, are you guys I directly hospital. asked the yeah. governor if she had plans to close a hospital, and she, she said no. Interesting. She's like, no, no, we're not going to close the hospital. She put it out on Twitter. Um, so clearly a lie or turnaround, I don't know. truth. I think mistruth. that's what they call it. Oh, yeah. they're not called lies anymore. Sorry. <laughs> um, <laughs> All right. So that fast forward, um, yeah. a lot of the, the – administ- well, not a lot, but the administrator of the hospital had to resign right? Because of a lot of the, the, the stuff that was coming out, mismanaging. Well, she resigned, but she resigned for family reasons. But okay. I think this was the issue that was like, okay, I have family reasons. Do I really want to put up with? Okay. seems like maybe, maybe another political response, like, you know, I'm resigning to spend more time From with my family. what I understand, there was an actual oh, okay. legitimate family, right. but this could have been like, all right. So this we don't situation have to, could have been the yeah. catalyst and been like, hey, listen, you know what? I don't want to have to deal with this. This is obviously going to become a big headache for the administration, okay. so I'd rather just leave. Okay. So we don't have to dwell on that. But yeah. she did resign. She did. And uh, that opened the door for someone new to take over. And that yes. leads us to the person who's currently nice in segue. the... In the <laughs> In the uh, the limelight, yeah. seems to be getting a lot of attention. Uh, is this Mr. Charest? Yes. Okay. Charest. Charest. Excuse me. I Ms. don't know, Mr. Charest. Mr. Charest. Uh, what um, What's his background? He he may be the administrator of the hospital. Maybe uh, it, it's looking more and more likely he's been nominated by I guess I presume the governor. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's What's his background? Does he have a lot of experience with hospitals and getting them back on the right track? Yeah, so he does have uh, experience with hospitals, and he was a consultant for the hospital at one point. So one of the questions that I asked him was, what was, as a consultant, what exactly did you do? Mm -hmm. Did you have any hand in advising the administration in closing the hospital down Mm -hmm. or downsizing or or whatever? And he gave me a list of, and I have them here, so I'm going to go through some of them. He was charged with bringing... um, Let's see. This is all from the testimony Thank on you. Thursday, right? The yes, oversight it's... hearing, Senate mm-hmm. oversight hearing. Um, so he had the opportunity to sit in front of all of the committee members, yourself, Chairman Miller, I think Leader McCaffrey and uh, Senate President right. Ruggiero were yeah. there as well, at least uh, in their ex officio capacity as you are, because right. you're not actually on the Health and Human Services Committee. Exactly. But uh, you 
jumped in because this is important to your district and it's the your right as, yeah. as an ex officio mm -hmm. member, as the minority whip in the Senate, you can jump in on any committee and weigh in and mm -hmm. vote on any issue. So, all right. So what was, uh, yeah. So you asked about revealed? his background Yeah. and his background, he was also brought in uh, to landmark medical center in Woonsocket. And I had a few people call me and say, well, he closed the hospital down. That's why he was brought in and you can't vote for him because of that reason. And I have to point out that, if that's the case, Landmark is still open. So he did a horrible job in closing Landmark. Mm. It wasn't, that wasn't a reason for me because when I thought about it, he was brought in because Landmark Medical Center was in disarray okay. and that he was brought in to actually save this financially troubled hospital. I see. And is that by the evidence or at least by accounts, is Landmark more or less on track or improving, getting better? Well, Landmark is open, is operational, and the individuals who were at the hospital at the time have great things to say about this Mr. Charette. Okay. Yeah. So the transition Charest. of him being a leader and a consultant there, a leader or a consultant? Was he an actual like leader with responsibilities? Like yes, an executive? exactly. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. okay. Um, so I had a chance to talk with him beforehand. I wanted to just see what his responses would be to some of my questions. And I told him that I would share it with the committee. And mm -hmm. I did uh, the same questions that I asked him privately. I asked him for the benefit of the publicly for the benefit of the the committee to hear. Okay. And most of his responses, I have to say were excellent. And he didn't, he, when I spoke to him, I didn't feel any hesitation. Like, okay. I, I mean, I shouldn't say any hesitation because this is such an important issue for me in the district where I am very cautious right? and I don't want to, um, you know, just vote for an individual without first right. knowing right. enough and in-depth knowledge about this individual. So anyways, so I asked him, he had great responses. And then one of the senators asked a very direct question about Zamborano. And it wasn't that his response was a bad response. Mm -hmm. I just felt like it was a prepared response, a very safe okay. kind of response to the question. And at that point, that's, that's when it gave me pause and I was, I kind of hesitated hmm. and I was leaning towards voting for the individual in okay. committee, but because of that response, it kind of like took, took me by surprise. And, and I said, well, now, and you know, I'm thinking through this, mm -hmm. I'm going to vote in a few seconds. Right. How am I going to vote? And so really just being cautious, I said, I'm going to have to vote no, but I'm going to contact this individual over the weekend. Okay. I said, I'm going to contact you and mm -hmm. I may, I may vote yes on the floor depending on his response. Okay. So I will be doing that and I will be making a decision. Tuesday, it goes to the floor for a full Senate vote. So all 38 senators are going to weigh in on exactly. this, vote on this issue. Mm -hmm. uh, what was the vote coming out of committee? There were uh, 72. You were in the, 72. So two uh, nay votes. Okay. I was the only Republican in, no, I shouldn't say that. I was um, the only Republican to vote no and there was a Democrat that voted no. I see. Okay. And the rest were. Uh, uh, affirmative. Yes. Okay. All right. There was another vote that was a big one this mm -hmm. uh, this week, and that is the um, the the vote for renewable energy. Um, it's not really a vote for it. I guess it's more of a, a mandate where uh, the Senate President Senator Ruggiero um, put forth some legislation that had quite a few uh, co-signers on it, uh, co-sponsors. And this is going to mandate that the state begin transitioning away from uh, uh, fossil fuels and into renewable energy. 
Um, and what's a little different about this one is that it provides these benchmarks. So this isn't new for the state. When I was reading the legislation, it looks like this has been going on since 2007. Back in 2007, right. the mandate was 3%, just a tiny portion, mm -hmm. 3% of all of the state's um, energy had to come from renewable energy, um, solar, wind, um, hydro. Right. And uh, every year, for a number of years, it increased just by half a percent. So 3% the first year, then the next year, 3.5%, and then 4%, and so on and so forth. What I found surprising by this is that they really sped things up. Uh, when I'm looking at the legislation, the way they proposed it, it seems that for the next, uh, I guess, nine years, eight or nine years, we're not doing these incremental changes of, you know, half a percent or one and a half percent, but now it's 11% every year we have to transition over to renewable energy. What mm -hmm. are your thoughts on this? Well, you're, you hit the nail on the head there. We're mm -hmm. going half a percent for several years, and now we're going to go 11% in, from one year to the next. Um, I just don't see the, how those are attainable goals. Yeah. Like we can set goals, but they need to be realistic, and we need to be able to come close to attaining those goals. So in, you're asking that in nine years or less that we go f to convert to fully renewable energy. Yeah. I just don't see that happening. Well, when I was, it's a great goal. Yeah. I mean, it's lofty. It's, you know, we, we care about the environment, right. but. Are you for renewable energy? I record? am. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah. It's Absolutely. just a matter of, is it attainable? Is and, it attainable? Mm -hmm. Is it feasible? And are we hurting the middle class? Okay. Right. I want it to be affordable. For the middle class because they're the ones that bear the brunt of these decisions right the rich are always going to be able to pay mm -hmm. whatever increase it is the poor are always going to be subsidized so they're not going to really have to worry too much about um you know heating their homes because they receive subsidies or or help from the government it's the middle class right. that has to decide you know do i pay for my prescription or do i pay for my heat right do i pay for my my rent or my mortgage those yeah. choices they have yeah. to make I mean, when I was looking at the, 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 the breakdown of this, you know, 2007, it was 3%. So we've been making some progress. So we're now in the year 2021. And according to these mandates, I'm assuming that we've been meeting them every year. They are state law. So if we're meeting these mandates, uh, by 2021, we should have 19%. So about 20% of all of Rhode Island's energy should be coming from renewable resources. I think that's you know incredible that, that, that we've been able to do that. That's mm -hmm. amazing. Yeah. I'm not sure how um, cost effective it is. Maybe it's been expensive. Maybe it's been pricey on the average you know Rhode Islander and their, their yeah. cost of energy. I'm not sure. I don't want to speak to that. Well, energy um, costs have increased. I mean, we've seen our own energy, sure. like electricity yeah. bills go, yeah. go up. Yeah. Um, all right. But if it's taken us, when you do the math there, that's, um, what is that, like 14 years or so, 14 years, it's taken us 14 years to get 20% renewable energy. So they're proposing that in nine years, we get 80% renewable. I want you to say that again. Yeah. Honestly, because it's so, I mean, shocking and unbelievable. If it took us 10 years, excuse me, 14 years to get to 20%, they want us to get to 80% in only nine years. And um, that's, that's, I mean... That's why I say it's unattainable. And I said on the Senate floor, this is this is a great goal, but I, if I'm still in the Senate in 2029, mm -hmm. 
I see piece of legislation amending it, this piece of legislation, extending out the deadline. Yeah, by five years or 10 years or something. Or more, yeah. And it's not really a goal. It's actually a mandate. Yeah. So that's the other question that I have here is when I was reading through the legislation, it was kind of foggy to me. But who, you know, who's... Whose plan is it? Is there a plan or is it just the mandate? I don't see a plan. Mm-hmm. I'm sure that there is a plan, but I haven't seen it. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm, I might say I'm sure there is a plan, but um, the bill would allow the state um, to transition. Oh, I'm going right. to transition. Right. The bill would allow the state to count outside um, electricity. So like they can um, purchase from different states. Mm-hmm. But um, as far as Rhode Island, we can't produce that much energy. Right. Okay. So we would have to import this from other states. We would have to import yeah. some of this from Because I did energy. see that line. I saw a line in there that said, you know, the energy would be coming from Rhode mm-hmm. Island and it was struck out. Uh, it was in red with the, 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 uh, the strike. I don't know what that's called. It was just struck out. So now it, it seems like we could be importing power from outside the state uh, maybe I've heard that we even buy sometimes power from Canada coming all the way down from like Niagara Falls. Right. So, Cause it's, yeah. Because that's a source of renewable energy. That's it all is. Hydropower. Yeah. It's hydropower. Yeah. It's a great source of renewable energy. But you know, the other thing that we have to factor is do we even have battery state battery storage stations where we can store this energy and use it? Well, you know why? Because like when I, when I think about the battery thing, it's, um, we know that it's not always going to be sunny mm-hmm. and it's not always going to be windy. Right. So where does, where do we get the power from when the renewables aren't able to produce energy on a nice sunny day or a nice windy day? Where does that power come from? And there's really only two options that I can think of. We either store that energy in batteries, which in itself is, you know, you know pretty wildly expensive, mm-hmm. or we start importing power from other places you know, which puts more pressure on the grid. And of course, that power would also be renewable because presumably other states are doing the same Mm -hmm. thing. Or we're starting to light up, um, I don't know, fossil fuel power plants again, because those are the only ones that can burn steady, whether it's cloudy or not, you know, not windy. So it's kind of a, um, there's just a lot of question marks for me. Like, are we talking about nuclear energy as being a possibility in the future. I don't see that mentioned anywhere, but it's not. Yeah. But is that something that do they count that as a renewable energy because it's not really emitting a fossil fuel? Technically it would be considered Mm -hmm. uh, renewable energy, but there is no appetite for in Rhode Island. You you haven't heard anyone talking about that. Yeah. But I, again, so I don't see anybody jumping up and down excited about that that in fact i would see i think people would be very much against that they would be yeah i don't know i mean i don't want to speak for not you. everybody i'm i'm a little more open to it just Are because you? the newer power plants tend to be um the, the newly designed ones tend to be way more efficient on on mm. their the, the the fuel that's produced and the waste and they're able to recycle them so people think chernobyl right away i know i i hear you chernobyl they think three mile island yeah. i get it they think of uh what's the one in japan japan yeah, yeah. um gosh it's escaping me at the moment fukushima yes there yeah. you go so all of these i mean all of these things conjure up but mm-hmm. we, you know we, we are a hungry state hungry nation we need energy and where's that energy going to come from? So my fear is, 
is that, you know, I live in Northwestern Rhode Island. Mm -hmm. We get a lot of snow. No school yeah. foster Gloucester. I'm past Foster and Gloucester. Okay? <laughs> right, right, We're yeah. at the, you know. We're in the Arctic <laughs> circle of Rhode Island. Yeah. And so um, a lot of times you know, I'm on the town pages on um, uh, during snowstorms. Lost power on this road. Lost this power. I haven't had power for three days. You know, when you don't have power for that many days, if you're an elderly person and you're homebound and you're all alone and you don't have a generator or you can't fix the generator because the generator stopped working, what's going to happen to that individual? Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of questions I have. Again, it's a mandate, but it doesn't, and it's not obviously funded. It's just a mandate. So who pays for this? Um, I don't see money being forked over by the state, directly by the taxpayer. So National Grid is the predominant mm -hmm. uh, energy supplier in our state, with the exception of a few other smaller ones. What, um, you know, what, what's National Grid? Do they just, they Well, they're not going to give it away for free. And they're not going to take money from their shareholders. Exactly. So where does the trickle down, you know, where does the cost, who, who bears the brunt of the cost? Okay. So that cost will be the consumer passed on to the consumer, which typically, you know, whenever you see these kind of, um, uh, fees and, and costs increased, it, it's affecting the middle class and it's, uh, disproportionately affecting, you know, the elderly and those on fixed incomes. Mm -hmm. So this, um, you know, it, I love the, I love it if it was a goal, but the fact that it's a mandate without a plan kind of leaves it just as a, a lot of question marks about how it's supposed to be accomplished. I don't know if there's any strategic plans written or here's what we're proposing or here's how National Grid could be a partner in making sure this happens. Uh, I don't see any of that. I just see this is what we want and um, that's the expectation for the state. Do you have any last words on it? No, I don't think so. Uh, except for that, we we need to find meaningful and I think well thought out solutions. All right, sounds good. Thanks again for joining us for Church and State. Stick around for Jessica's closing thought. Today's closing quote comes from Abraham Lincoln: "No man is good enough to govern another man without the other's consent." Welcome to Rhode Island's Church and State podcast. I'm David, and I'm Jessica. We're a husband and wife podcast. He's a pastor and I'm a state senator. So you've been warned. We're about to talk politics and religion. And anything else that might get us canceled. Thanks again for listening. And if you've enjoyed this podcast, help us by subscribing and sharing these episodes. And for more content, check out churchandstateri.com.